Hello and welcome to the Congleton Town Football Club podcast. This week we will hear from Secretary Ken Mead on his involvement with the Bears and what it's like being a non-league club secretary. But first let's hear from player manager Richard Duffy after the Bears returned to winning ways in the league with a 2-0 victory over Romulus. A really good win. One that we needed to get back on track in the league. Because obviously, I'll, I know we won in the Vars last week, but our, our last game in the league, we come unstuck against Highgate and, and lost the game. So it, it was good to get back on, on winning ways and get three points. How pleased were you with the performance and how important do you think it was to, to respond and get back to winning ways? Yeah, I was, I, I was happy with the performance. I think we we created some really good chances again, which which is the important thing. And the performance was good as well. Yes, we you know they they created a few chances as well. But like I keep saying, that's football. You know, you, you expect the opposition to to put up a fight and and perform to the best of their abilities and, and create chances. And and then you know both teams got to have solutions to stop and and find a way out to score. So they created a few chances. And on another day, they might have scored, might have grabbed the goal, but we were ruthless in in the chances we had and, um, yeah, deserved the win. There was a few talking points from the game. We'll start with Carl Dickinson's goal because you said on Morland's radio that you're asked whether it was a shot or a cross. You said you're going to have to watch it again. Have you had a chance to watch it again? And uh, and what's your verdict? What was it, a shot or was it a cross? Yeah, I've watched it again and uh, I'm, I'm going for a cross, but he's, he's told me it was a shot to the back stick, but I'm not too sure. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, it, it, it was a lovely set from Chathers. And he's, he's put it in the right area. I think that they, the lads, were more concerned about whether the, it was going to be a penalty. You know, the referee was going to blow for a penalty for handball. Um, and we seemed to, to get on with it. It looked like they switched off for that split second. And, and that was enough for us to score. Kind of a goal is a goal. And, and actually, that's four goals for, for Carl Dickerson now this season. I think it's 11 different goal scorers Congleton have had this season. How important is it? And I guess it must be great to know that you can share the goals around around the team. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a huge thing that, you know, it's a, it's a big advantage for us that we haven't got one go-to man to, to pull us out of the, the mither, should I say. If we're looking for a goal, then, you know, I look all over the pitch. You know, we've got set pieces where we're really dangerous at the minute. Um, and we've got people with, with individual quality that can win a game from nothing. So we have the ability to score for, at any time in a game. And, and that's a good that's a good trait to have. And as you say, 11 different scorers and lots of assists from, well, I think, every, everyone in the team has had some some sort of goal involvement this season, which which is great to see. You mentioned about the individual quality. And again, Max McCarthy showed that as well with, with, with the second goal. Obviously, 2-0 is not... It's still not a kind of a completely safe scoreline, and I'm sure you would have perhaps liked a few more goals. But when that second goal goes in, is that when you can breathe a bit easier? And does it always come with a bit of a, I guess, a relief when that second goal goes in? Yeah, and I, I think not even 30 seconds before that, they they've had half a chance in in the six yard box. The ball has come across. It's it's come away from Dave, and I I mean I've watched it back again. I can't quite work out what's happened. I mean, I think the guy shot, and I, I'm not sure whether it's hit Dave in the face and. And he's managed to get hold of it again. Uh, and then 30 seconds later, uh, we put the ball in the back of the net. So it was a double whammy for them from from going maybe one all to to being 2-0 behind. I think that's men- mentally seen them off. And um, I think after that, we, we were pretty comfortable then. And Max has got another brilliant finish as well. And, and that's why I said, you know, we got, we got people in the team that can score out with nothing. And if you give someone the ball around the box, back to goal there. You don't expect the, the ball to be back in the back of the net within two or three seconds. That's the quality Max has. 
Brian's poked it into him in, in a dangerous area in, in and around the box, which we've been talking about a lot lately in training. And yeah, you know, he's got on he's got half a yard and, and he's a great finish. You know, he brings something different to us as well. And we did see you switch to well after Pete went went off injured, you brought on Brian. You switched to a four four two, which actually isn't a formation we always see from you, I don't think, during your time at Colmerton. What was the thinking behind there? And actually, is it good now that you're kind of blessed with the attacking options that you can mix it up a bit? And you mentioned there about Max and Brian and that link-up play. We just felt it was really congested in the middle of the park. Even though we played out quite a bit and, and, and managed to play through them, you know, watching the video back a lot more times than I thought on the day. And yeah, I just felt he was a little bit congested in there. I'm not sure it worked, to be honest. The first part when Brian came on up until half-time, I wasn't too sure that it worked. But I think second half, as the game evolved and got further on, um, I think Brian picked up some lovely positions and, and sort of combination with Max, with George one side and Danny the other side. And I thought it worked. So, yes, it's something that, that we'll look at. But game to game will be um, will be different things. So it's something to, to take on board for sure. And it's almost a bit of a strange schedule coming up. Well, I, I say strange, obviously, mainly because of the amount of games we had last season and we're so used to playing midweek and then Saturday. There isn't a league game now until the 9th of December, but before then there's three cup games. Um, a break of 10 days before the Runcorn Linux game, which is the next game. How do you kind of manage this period? Yeah, I, personally, I, I don't like it. I, I know we had the moment up last year of Saturday, Tuesday, but I do like the games coming thick and fast because I, I feel we're at our best when we're doing that. And, and we, we just it's a quick turnaround for us. Felt, you know, first part of last season, really, or the, the mid third part of the season last year, really suit with us uh, with lots of games. And there's no time to think, you know, you're on to the next one. So, as you say, a 10 day break now, it's, it's a time to have a couple of nights off for the lads, rest up, even though. As I say, it's not a heavy schedule at the minute, but if we do manage to get through the cup games, then the schedule will become a little bit heavier after Christmas. I'd imagine you've got a chance to switch off. I'd imagine that you're already focusing on that Runcorn Linnets game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we. Uh, I went to watch them the other week, just in the off chance. We went to go somewhere and the game was called off and, and Linnets was the closest game. So we went to watch them. So we know what they're all about. They're a great team. Billy's got them going now really well. And yeah, it'll be a massive game for us, obviously being holders of the competition. It's one that we take really seriously. But yeah, we'll we'll go in, into it underdogs. They'll be massive favourites where they are in the league as well. Doing really well, scoring lots of goals and it'll be a massive ask for us. You mentioned there Billy Painter, the manager of Runcorn. Billy Painter is someone that Griff, I think, played with at Carlisle. And I think you and, and Griff might have coached with, with him as well at Port Bell. Is this one of those games when friends become rivals for 90 minutes? Yeah, I think Griff did play with him, different clubs. And yeah, Griff and Billy were, were in charge of the under-18s of Vale. And when Billy got pushed up to the first team, I went went in for a bit with Griff and sort of, you know, all become friends that sort of way with, with Billy, you know. So um, I didn't know him before that. And we keep in touch. We, we, we speak quite regular about different players and different games. And um, if we can help each other out with different videos, we, we try and do that. You know, being in different leagues is... We try and help each other as much as we can. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll both be looking forward to that and um, be a good good game on the night. Obviously, Runcorn are in the league above. Do you take confidence, though, from last season and, and also especially against teams in the leagues above? Do you take confidence from that? Yeah, massively as, as a club, for sure. We're a different team this year. We, we've lost some players and we've, we've got different players in. So, we are a different team. We play a different way and, you know, we'll have to come up with solutions to play against the, the higher opposition. I think it's the second time we've come up against higher opposition. We, 
we lost to Witten earlier in the season, 2-1, which which I thought was unfortunate. You know, we could have got someone out of the game. And obviously, we'll be coming up against a team that's, that's thriving up the, at the top of the league above. So, we're going to have our hands full. We'll have to set up well. But it, it is a chance also for, for players to get some, some game time that, that haven't been playing as well. Just not having a game this weekend, does that actually, do you think, actually benefit Compton in a way? I know you, you prefer to play in the team play consistently because you said on the podcast previously that you want to do as well as you can in every competition. So is the fact that the run call in its game, another big game, coming so close to another big game in the FA Vars, does this mean you're going to have to kind of prioritise a competition or is it kind of too early for that? Yeah, I think it's too early for that. I think I think we will we, we will make changes. That goes without question. That's that's what I've always done in in cup competitions. But yeah, I, I would have liked to have played this Saturday, even with a game Tuesday, just to share the minutes out over them two games and then everyone sort of being fresh going into into next Saturday. But it wasn't, you know, it's not to be and we'll have to pick a team that, that can compete on Tuesday, but also have have, have Saturday in mind as well. We've also got to mention the support that the Congleton had again. On Saturday, 550 at the Cleric Stadium. It's the third highest attendance in the country at Step 5 on Saturday. And we've said it many, many times on the podcast before, but just how impressed are you and thankful of the support that keeps on coming out week after week after week? Yeah, it's crazy. You come off and someone says 550, and I know it's not one that many there, surely. And obviously, that's the number that's been given out. And it's like to have that many fans that, you know, coming to watch us at this level is is great. And it's, it's a sort of a, a bug for them now. You know, we, we're picking up wins quite regular, and, and people like to see teams doing well and sort of, right, we'll go and see what it's all about. And, and hopefully, we, we're keeping most of them fans around then to in, enjoy the day. You know, it's a, it's a real family club. It's a good atmosphere, good bar. The lads go in after, have a pint, have a chat with all the fans. And and that's what it's all about, non-league. And before I come into the non-league, you know, I wouldn't have thought it would be like that. So uh, the more players drop down as well. And it's great to see and, 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 and the fans really get involved as well. That was Richard Duffy speaking after the league win against Romulus, which saw Congleton extend their lead at the top of the table. Now, Ken Mead's involvement with Congleton Town goes back more than 25 years. During that time, he's held key roles at the club and has been there through the highs and certainly some lows, to the point that when he first joined, the club's future was at risk. And as you'll hear, his involvement all started with one question. What can I do to help? So first of all, Ken, um, welcome to the Congleton Town Football Club podcast. Thank you, Adam. Um, So Ken, do you want to take us back to the start? When and how did your involvement with Congleton Town first start? Well, I moved up from the south in 1980, so it was just the the era before Congleton uh, Town made its first appearance in the FA Cup. But I wasn't really that okay with that part of the local football scene. I was a came up as a referee, and I was refereeing Saturday and Sunday football. So my involvement with Congleton was sort of peripheral in. Uh, I didn't really go to watch the games because I was out refereeing on a Saturday and Sunday. did get immediately hauled in when I came up by Macclesfield Referees Association to help them. And I, I was somehow found myself as a treasurer working for the Referees Association. And that sort of brought us in touch with Congleton in as much as one of the things we did was we'd like to get our, our finals, our cup finals, played at Congleton Town. And then also I was, because I was a referee, I got occasionally asked to go and do pitch inspections for them. But I could not obviously referee the club because I was 
in the town and I was I'd worked my way gradually now up to refereeing in the Northern Premier League and running lines in the uh, conference and the um, Pontins League or the Central League as it was. So it was sort of because I was a referee and because that was my local club, I got sort of associations with them. But I got sort of hooked in. I almost felt that's the right description as well. When I was age barred from the Northern Prem at 48, so that would have been in 1996, I would have just got my last season in with the Northern Prem. And then 1997 season, I wasn't allowed to referee anymore. So I went down to the club at Colton and said, do you need any help on match days? I said, they knew me as obviously as a referee. And they said, oh, yeah, I'm always looking for help. And that was in the September. So September, I'm there looking after the referees. And in November, I was a treasurer. It's the story that a lot of people will probably tell you that have been involved in the club and, and hold roles. That once you're kind of brought into the club, that's it. You, well, you are literally hooked into the club. But why was it kind of important to you to offer your services to the club kind of at that time? Most footballers, are, they love the game and they love it, every aspect of the game, really. They love one key thing is you want, you want to play. For, and for many, they want to play at the highest possible level they can get. I wasn't of that sort of ambition. I was just happy to play. I played for the university side and I played for teams down south. Never played for anyone up here because I came up as a referee. It's the game. You enjoy the game. You enjoy the social bit. You enjoy the fact that you've got commitment. You know, that you can look forward to every weekend. You've got something to take your mind off everything that's going on in the world and work and so forth. So like most people, and referees are classic for this, when they come to the end of their refereeing career, they graduate to their local club in some form or another. An awful lot of referees I know are either secretaries or, or on the boards or on the committees of various clubs. It's because we enjoy the game. And as you get older and older, your ability to influence the game on green stuff just disappears. So your contribution becomes one, if you like, back to the community, to the game that's given you all that much pleasure. You give back your time for others to enjoy. And, and of course, being involved in a club at the level we're at, uh, we've got players who good talent, good skills. We've got people who want to watch it. And that's a big difference we have town who wants really wants to have a football club that it can be proud of so you're always trying to take uh, the club from where i found it which was fifty-three thousand pounds in debt to where we are now and that was oh, it's been a long journey but it's a journey that we always in our minds had planned and, and hoped to get to and some of it was a little bit by accident some of it was by design but the, the plan was Anyone involved in the club, you come in, you do your bit, and you aim to leave the club in a better state than you found it, and then you hand it on to the next generation of people to take it forward into the into the future. So we're still on that journey, of course. Um, we, we're not quite stepped down yet, but it won't be long, perhaps, before somebody else might need to step up to the plate and start looking at some of these jobs because we don't last forever. So for when you first mentioned within two months of first being involved in the club, you ended up as treasurer. How yeah. did it kind of evolve from there? Because the, the list of roles that I've got you having covered in some kind of aspect, I've got um, the commercial manager, 
a groundsman at, at one stage, program editor, and of course now secretary. So how did you go from treasurer to kind of all of those roles? I was treasurer, as I say, to start with. So obviously we were keen on on the finances and, and how all the club activities are working, the clubhouse, the raffles, the the gates uh, and so forth. And, and they were still, players were still getting paid their expenses. Even in those days, only five or something of that sort of nature. But it will just show you how bizarre it was and how astounding it can be when the club were paying players by cheque and the cheques were bouncing and the, the cost of the represented cheque was more than the, the value of the cheque itself. So he's sitting there thinking, no wonder the club's in trouble. If this is the way this is the way it's running its finances, it's, it's never going to succeed. Uh, so that was just an example of the sort of thing you inherit. And we worked pretty quickly and pretty tirelessly to do one important thing, which is live within your means. We said, if we can't afford to do something, we can't do it. If we haven't got the money for it, there's no point trying to spend it because you can't. If you write a cheque out and it bounces, the cheque's still owing and they'll charge you for the privilege. So the very, very early years was all about trying to establish income streams to stabilise the club, to get its foundations right. All clubs, really, they survive on, or they benefit from, if not survive, on the volunteers. So you will be aware that we are now in an extremely strong position as a club in terms of its structure it's, and how it's being run. And we've got the Wednesday Club, and the Wednesday Club is the source for much uh, of the development work that goes on at the ground, clearing of the pitch, the look of the ground, repairs, painting, everything. So obviously, going back to being the treasurer, the first thing is you're thinking – Income, where do we get it from? So we, we did two or three things in those days. We had we did have somebody who came and, as a professional, came and uh, offered to go around the town selling boards around the ground, advertising boards, uh, for which they would take, as you would expect, a commission. But that was a, a no-lose situation because if he, if he didn't sell anything, it didn't cost us anything. But if he sold something, then clearly we've got the visual effect of a board We've got the income from the board and we've got the revolving income from it from year after year. So that was one sort. So that's how the sort of commercial side encroached. It became a, a need. Some of it we did ourselves. The other um, income stream uh, would be from the programme. So we produced a programme uh, in those days and we have advertising. Uh, so again, we're out trying to encourage advertisers to take a page, half a page, quarter a page, eighth of a page, colour, black and white, whatever. There's an annual fee for, for that, but you're in every programme we produce. So it's another income stream. So you can see how the commercial side sort of mixes in very quickly. And you can see very quickly how we've now got the programme going. We're trying to sell it with interest. So we're getting articles. So we need someone to if you like, be the editor to produce the program, do the copying, put it together. So those two quite heavy jobs, in a way, they, they do take time, were necessities because we needed the income, basically. The other side of it, uh, the groundsman side of it, I wouldn't say I was a groundsman per se, but many of the time I've been out there on Saturday morning marking pitch for the afternoon's game. I didn't cut the grass. So we had somebody who would literally sit on the mower or go charge him out and cut the grass. So, But certainly marking the pitch out and so forth was uh, a task because it 
had to be done. Somebody else would do it sometimes. I would do it sometimes. But it's a job that cannot be missed. It has to be there and done and the pitch is ready for the match. So you get involved in all those streams. I was younger then. I was more energetic to do it. What's the role that you've enjoyed the most during your time at Congleton Football Club? That's tricky, actually, because I'd like to think the most successful was Treasury because, as I said, we took over in huge debt and we cleared that debt. We managed to continue building. Our ambition was always to get, basically, to where we are now, i.e. with professional people running the club, good business people, good business contacts, that so their skills can operate the well-being of the club in the, in the financial side of it. But when we took over, there was a great danger. There was no two ways about it. There was a, a real danger that the club would cease to exist as it was anyway. We had some little bits of good fortune on our way. We had the lottery, the local lottery in, in the town, and that helped. We used to get something like three or £400 a week profit out of that lottery. Uh, so that helped clear the debts, some of the debts very quickly, and some of the local people the club owed money to because clearly our first objective was to keep anybody in the town that we owed money to paid but unfortunately uh, as is the way of our life whilst we were on this very very strong upward trend the national lottery started so all the football clubs like us that had their own lottery schemes and we were in with Alfreton in Derbyshire we were in with them they obviously all of a sudden, for a pound, you can get two or three million pounds in the lottery. So local lotteries took a big hit. And eventually, we had to fold it because it, it was no longer viable. It wasn't going to sustain itself. So there were things like that helped. But if you look at where we started to where we are, most of that has come about by sound financial handling of the club and gradually bringing in more and more accomplished people to take over the important roles in the club. So that would be it. The secretarial work, it's important. There's lots involved in it, and you get involved in all sorts of exciting moments like semi-finals and bars and so on. You're involved in, we'd love to have gone to Wembley and been pampered there, but but I suppose the most satisfying would have been the taking a club on its knees financially to, to where we've left it or where we've gradually put in the building blocks of people to come along and take it forward to where we are now. And the role of secretary, what does that involve? Well, it's, it's one of those jobs, unfortunately, everybody thinks the football season finishes and we can all have a rest. Uh, and that's when the following season starts. Immediately that season's finished, it, where you're playing it the following season is going to be determined. Immediately you've got communication with a league or a new league. If you got promoted or in our case, side move into the Midlands League, you've got Meetings to attend, you've got affiliations to do with the FA, you've got assurances from the various teams and the clubs. And then, obviously, as you move closer to the season in, you've got player registrations, some contract players, some non-contract. And that's all preparing for a season. And that goes on whilst everybody says, season's finished, let's go on holiday. So most of that works kicks off pretty much as soon as you know where you've ended up and where you're going to be going next year. As the season comes up to its start, it's just a normal set of routines, really. You've got the first thing you, you, you're looking at is your fixture list. So your task, taking one just one single game as an example, first game of the season, prior to the uh, fixture, if it's a home fixture, 
you'll be wanting to communicate with your wayside, telling them what colours were in the arrangements, confirm with the match officials. But you're basically doing it, it match communication. Just a week or so before the fixture, at least, you're sending out the confirmation to the away club and the match officials, and you're getting all that organised. I just need to make sure I get match officials and the opponents there, the manager gets our team there, and the game can take place. Then, of course, as soon as the game's over, you've got to get the results off to the various league and the websites. You've got to fill in all the post-match documentation, telling who played, who did that, who got caution, who scored, what time did they score, what time were they substituted. That has to go off to the league, and you see the league tables don't get produced unless somebody tells them the results. So you've got a post-match period. Immediately after the game's finished, you're trying to communicate the results. Then the following day, you're trying to fill in the details with all the uh, comings and goings and timings, etc. And marking the referees, of course, that has to happen next. So once the season's in swing, you get regular communications from the Football Association, of course, from discipline for players. Sometimes you have to organise appeals against dismissals or whatever. That, again, is a time-consuming task. But it's you get the pleasurable bits because you keep getting what's the next round of the FA Vars who are playing. Oh, lovely. We've seen the draw on a Monday. First thing you have to do now is talk to your opponents and get that fixed up. So it's all about just it's trying to ensure that when the spectators turn up on a Saturday at the ground, they just want to see the two teams out there play football and, and see us win. That's their preference. The opposition wants to see us lose. But that doesn't happen just by accident. There's a lot of work going into making sure the right people are at the right place at the right time. And, of course, when the weather intervenes, it throws up a, a nightmare task of, of getting pitches inspected, communications out to everybody to say whether it's on or off. It's just basically making sure that the club meets all its obligations as far as playing matches are concerned, responsibilities to the FA, responsibilities to the leagues, responsibilities to the players, making sure that when they turn out on the pitch, they're not suspended or playing an ineligible player because that can cost you dearly. Absolutely. And we've talked on previous podcasts about the change of leagues and the impact that that has had. But actually, your role is probably the one that's most affected by it. So how have things kind of changed for you in terms of the change of leagues and the impact that that's perhaps had on your role? Well, we were very happy in the northwest counties. I mean, we knew the teams, we knew everybody, and we've been in there a while now, 20-odd years. But what the Northwest Counties have done is they've been moving forward very steadily uh, with Martin Fallon in particular. And he'd got the match day arrangements pretty much computerised. We'd log on to the, their system. The match would be there. We could go on. We could select our players from our registered players, put the name in and click it in. The opposition did the same. Put the uh, match officials in, press the button. There's a team sheet. Print it. It's printed and it's done. And after the game, it's again on the program. You can go in and you can put on the system goal scorers, the times when it was a penalty and, and the times of the goals and everything else. So it was basically paper, almost paper free, pretty much paper free. We didn't have team sheets, didn't need them. It's all done on the app. But when we go to the Midlands League, they are quite a way behind on that. They'd love to have it, but they haven't got it. So we're back to paper. So we're, we're there writing out manual team sheets, you know, with the 11 players, the five or subs or whatever uh, and the management and everything else and the club colours and to such an extent that on the very first game when we played Litchfield 
I've got this team sheet book. So I've written out the team like that. And I sort of said to the referee, uh, just a quick question. I said, I've done the team sheet book. I said, but when you caution a player, do you ask for his name? And he said, yeah, normally. But I said, we normally go off the numbers. I said, but there's no numbers on this team sheet. He said, no, you've got to write them in. I went, oh, because obviously in the Northwest Counties, you had to play in shirts 1 to 11. That's it. And your substitutes at 12, 14, 15. In the Midlands League, you can have squad numbers. You could have the centre half as number 20. So you couldn't do a, a, a thing like the Northwest Counties did. You had to write these numbers manually on your team sheet. But it's very paperwork heavy in that respect. And the other huge difference was, whereas, as I said, once you've finished the game in Northwest Counties, you go onto the app. If you'd won 3 0, you'd have three lines there. You'd, they knew there were three goals to explain. So you just have to put who scored and what the time was. On the um, Midlands League, which is very similar to lots of other leagues, I will hasten to add, they use FA full time, which is not something I was familiar with. Uh, so I was pretty apprehensive about how you actually achieved the same objectives. But I'm there now. I've done it enough times now. But we're enjoying our time in the league with a number of clubs, apart from Northwich, who we've met before, of course, uh, and Whitchurch, uh, a number of the other clubs in there we're meeting for the first time. So it's um, it's a good experience after a, a bit of a hesitant start uh, is one that we're beginning to settle into. But definitely more paperwork. What have been some of your standout memories, whether that's successes on the pitch or funny moments that have happened off the pitch. Oh, what no. are kind of some of your standout memories? We could probably do a whole podcast just on this this question. My dying memory of chilly Boxing Day, uh, we do play Bamber Bridge at home. Pitch is rock hard. It wasn't in the state it is now. It was, it was muddy, you know, churned up. And we've been on it and it looked hopeless. The top half was pretty flat. The bottom half was dangerous. And we're all looking at this. There must have been about eight or ten people there standing around thinking what... I just sort of made a comment. I said, this is hopeless. I said, we get get a referee in and, and let him have a look at it. And he has a look at the pitch. The sun's low in the sky. It's cold. It's half past ten. He said, they're coming from Preston. We need to tell them early. We don't want to leave it too late. Ooh, he says, oh, we don't really want to call it off at this stage. He said, the sun still got a bit of time. Five hours for the sun to get on the pitch. So off he goes, we go looking at each other. And I said, just by chance, I said, well, I don't know what he's thinking. I said, the only chance this pitch has got is see if we can get some heat into it. Well, a light bulb went on in Dave Wilcox said. He went, bing, got an idea, he said. And off he went, he left the ground, he shot off. And he came back and he's carrying this five litre drum of something. And now he, he was a car body repairer. And what's that, Dave? Paint thinners, he said. Oh, what we're going to do with it? He says, we'll set fire to the pitch. Okay, so it starts immediately because you can imagine the goalpost, the penalty spot. There's that little like diamond, that sort of triangular shape there. It was absolutely rock hard. So here he goes, sprinkling all this liquid all over this area. So he gets his matches, and as he was getting the match out of the box, you could see everybody else go back about 15 paces away from this area. So he strikes a match, drops it on this thing, just goes out. That's unlucky. That's it again. Drops it on. This goes out. She's getting really bold and brave. She's getting even nearer. Like, no, you can't get this thing to burst into flames. I said, what is that, Dave? Think have a look at that tin. So he gave me the tin. I said, yeah, it is. It's paint thinners and it's got the flammable sign, you know, and it's got their warning, danger, vapour, highly flammable. I said, Dave, it said the vapour 
is highly flammable. This is a bit of like the difference between meths and paraffin. You can burn meths, but you can't burn paraffin. You've got to heat paraffin and pump it and pressurize it to get a primer stove started. We've now got a pitch that's rock hard, covered in paint filler, that nobody can do anything we could, can't soak away. It's not evaporated because it's not warm enough. There's no fumes. So, of course, Bamber Bridge turn up, referee turns up. So the day we tried to set fire at the Boo Street, pitch was a very memorable and unsuccessful event. And the other sort of off-the-pitch event, we went to play Fleetwood away. We were on the coach in the Fleetwood car park, you know, just pulling out, having the games over, we got being whatever, and off we are on our way home. We get all the way back to Macclesfield Station, we're dropping people off, and uh, looking back, I said, who's this coat here in the, in the rack? Got it down. It's the chairman's coat. Where's the chairman? He's not been on the bus. So Steve, at the back, is a lovely lad he was, but uh, God rest his soul, he comes up, he says, I saw him. I said, where? He said, when the coach came out of the car park, he came out of the clubhouse and was waving at us. What did you do? I waved back, he said. We left him at Fleetwood. His wallet, everything was in his coat. Luckily, Fleetwood gave him money. He got him a chain fit to get him back. But that's what you call loyalty, isn't it? Leave your chairman at Fleetwood. But uh, on the pitch, um, obviously, people who saw the FA Cup first round at the crew would have... Uh, would have some good memories of that. I wasn't uh, party to that. But we've had some um, really memorable games. It was all compressed, really, in a good era. I think Kevin Langley was the manager. We'd gone to Hucknall, who were top of the Northern Premier League Premier at that time, running away with it. Uh, in the FA Cup, we won nil down. They got a, a six-foot, 74-inch centre-forward. We get a penalty through some dubious action by one of our players who managed to fall over. And we equalise. So we end up earning a replay. So on the Tuesday night, we're back at Blue Street. The first half was it was a really good first half. We did our bit. It was 2-2, to be fair. And we thought, God, that won't, that's not a bad showing. So the second half starts off. And within probably about a couple of minutes, we've got a corner. Corner comes across. Ball's headed clear. The well-trained Hucknall defence start to move out en masse. Our lads, obviously, you know, trying to keep on side. Aidy, the centre-half. He wasn't as quick as the uh, forwards. And because he was so slow, all the Hutmull defenders ran past him as the ball came over the top and it fell to him. And he turned around and the keeper was coming out. just lobbed the keeper. 3-2. Brilliant. Well, that was after about two minutes up into the second half. For the next 43 plus whatever time they were threat, they were all over us. And there were bodies in the way. There was goalkeeper saves. There were misses. There were bars. There were legs in the way. Everything. And we won 3-2. And everybody talks about about that game. But the same season, we're in the Cheshire Senior Cup and we'd drawn Chester, who were a football league club at that time. We're about 10 minutes from the end. We were losing 4-2. We said, oh, that's, they're a good sign. You know, it's what you expect. As soon as we said that, we score. So we get the 4-3. There could only have been about four or five minutes left. And we said, oh, what a shame. He said, if we'd have had another sort of quarter now, we might have been able to get something out of it. Blow me, they go flipping knee corners right near the end. So we're 4-4. Four, four. And of course, me being gloomy, I said, oh, they're a league side. They're going to be fitter than us. If this goes to extra time, there's likely to be only one result of there. So what happens is we score again. We kick off. They kick off. Lose the ball. We get it. We cross it. We score with 5-4. Uh, and the whistle goes. We've won this game 5-4. And him losing 4-2 with about six or seven minutes to go. And we've scored two in the last two minutes to win the game. And they were absolutely incensed. The players were incensed. The manager was incensed. But everybody all talks about the game. 
You remember the day when we beat Chester, when we were like losing with just a few minutes left in the game? That's what it does for you. That Those are the sort of things that you, the memories that players will talk about. Last season as well, that must have been a pretty special to be a part of and be around the, the, the club and the team. Going back to where we were talking about a lot earlier, movement of the club and the development of the club and, and how we were going. We've got a, a good side there, as you, as you well know. 68 matches we play in a season. We get to the cup final and win you know, win the League Cup, we win the Cheshire Senior Cup. The first time, I think, a, a, a Step 5 club at our level won the Senior Cup. We get to the semi-final of the Bars, just um, losing on penalties. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. As a season, it was obviously the best uh, that we've seen as a club, in my tenure anyway. Even the FA Cup was brilliant. And we were on telly, national telly. So what can you say? Absolutely brilliant season. Everybody at the club deserved that for all the years of work that's been put in. And we're no different to many other clubs. The other clubs have got people doing exactly the same for their clubs as we do for ours. So at the end of the day, I'll always talk about my triangle of requirements for a successful football club. The three prongs are going to be finances, facilities, players. You've got three things that underpin a club. If the club's got rubbish players, it'll be in the bottom of the league or relegate or whatever. If it's got fantastic players, it will then be held back by the facilities. Because if your ground is only capable of staging a step five football, that's all you're going to play. Your facilities need to be enhanced or improved or, you know, to allow you to go further. And if you've got a very good side and you've got a pretty decent set of facilities, but you're not financially sound, then basically your players are there to be picked off by clubs that can pay more. So if you get those three, they have to be in place for you to progress as a club. And I think, you know, obviously financially, Charles and Paul and the management side of it there, looking after the finances and making sure that, that, that the club's stable in that way. You've got Griff and Duffy doing a great job with Chris, who goes recruiting, of course, sorting the player side out. And of course, the facilities... Uh, as you, you've been there, you know what the ground's like. You've seen improvements over the recent years. When the Midlands League vice chairman came up, when the ground accreditation was being carried out by the FA, he was very complimentary. And we spent years working towards where we are now, where the three foundations, as I call them, for a football club to move are in place. What do you put that down to? What work has gone on across all three? as a collective, as volunteers, to get to where it is now? It's a team effort. We've had different chairmen and people step in and, and uh, move on and so forth. We were known as the Gang of Three because there was Pete Evans, Steve Burgess and myself. And in the, earlier than that, Dave Wilcock. We were the four major people that were making decisions. So we've got known as the Gang of Three because they eventually had to step down for being a director. But that didn't matter. As long as the club was surviving, going forward, moving forward, that, that was the objective. What we were doing is like anything. We were trying to build a foundation that if you get the, the foundation right, as every next level comes along, it can build on what it's good at. It's, it's facade, it's, it's future, it's next bit, the next stage. But it's a bit like a bit like a relay race. Even though we're still there, we've done our little sprint and we've handed the baton over to someone else who will carry us forward. At the end of the day, you need players on the pitch, managers, people to run the uh, clubhouse, people to run the turnstiles and everything else. I liken our football club 
to a motor vehicle, really. I said, and if you sat there and, and you looked at our club now and you thought, what sort of what sort of vehicle would our club be? And I said, oh, I think it's pretty good now. I, I think we've perhaps got a Lexus or something like that. And we said, yeah, that's good. On the, the appearance of it is, it looks lovely, it's beautiful, it's so very nice and tidy, etc. Well, that Lexus wouldn't run at all if it wasn't for the oil running around the engine. It would seize up. So every small component of a football club contributes to the end product as much like it does in a motor vehicle. Turn the ignition on. It's not the two-litre engine that, uh, that's necessary. It's the brakes that stop you. It's the, uh, it's the gears that change, and it's the oil that keeps it all running. The whole package is what's important. And that's, what, that's where we've got to now, and that is the bit that gives me most pleasure because there were times in the early days when you were thinking, how can we get to where we are now? How We know what we like, but how can we get there? What, what are the actual building blocks that we, we need to do? And basically, it's the opportunity when people come along and help out. And there have been a number of them uh, over the years. We're culminating now with Charles Porter as the chairman to see through the, the, the stages right now. Uh, and in the early days, we had people who would just do their bit, but gradually, as they found somebody or knew somebody and they got involved and they knew somebody else, they come in and do their bit and they've dropped out and gone, not for any other reason, but you know they've done their bit and they've helped the club and moved on. And so we have made steady progress. A, a club at, at this level can't function with just one person. It's got to be an entire team of people or with the same love of the club for their their town. Of course, the, the, the biggest change in the last year or two with the chairman coming on board and bringing in the junior teams, that's been the next huge step for the club. Charles has always had this, you know, he's got a lot of an association with the juniors anyway. And now we're getting to where Congleton Town Football Club has got a senior team. It's got a reserve team. It's got a vets team. It's got a ladies team. It's got a ladies reserves team. It's got junior teams with the same name, same brand, same kits and all that stuff beneath them. Part of that success is goes towards what you were alluring to a bit earlier. The 550 people that were there on Saturday, quite a number of them were there, were kids. So it gives you a much better feeling about the club. And, and people, whereas historically, maybe 20-odd years ago, when I say when you owe a lot of money and you owe money to people in town, you say, oh, we're from to Town Football Club. Oh. Now people wear the badge and wear the hat, wear the kit and the uniforms happily around town with uh, justifiably and pride. It's because each time we've managed to find somebody that's come in at the key roles, they've been brilliant professional people. That's really what it's what it's down to. We weren't professional when we started. We were just people who went to work at, on a Monday, Friday at BT, came home and had our family life. Now we've got people who, uh, who own businesses and run things with, with good turnovers, with all the financial nows that you want. And going back to the very start, are you glad when you first came to the club that you asked, I think it was the then chairman, if they needed assistance? Are you glad or you wish that you never asked? No, uh, there have been good years. I mean, you wouldn't do it if you didn't enjoy it. The thing is, if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. There's no point, is there? No point making yourself miserable. I will say there were times, honestly, there were times uh, in those early days 
when there were sleepless nights. You know, you, you were sitting there thinking, how on earth are we going to manage from here? You know, where are we going to find £400 to pay the normal Premier League fees for the league fees for, for, in the season? And, and you're sitting there thinking and, and you're tossing and turning at night uh, and so forth. But if you, I don't know, things came along, things happened, people chipped in and we got through it. I, I don't know what we're we doing on a Saturday and a Sunday. <laughs> it wasn't for football. Come on, let's be fair. I've been luckily all my life that I work Monday to Friday at work. You know, I wasn't a shift worker, I think. So to me, Saturdays was always playing football Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning playing football while I could play. Age takes its toll and as you get older, you can't do that. So you have to find something else to take its place. And that's either shopping down to the old supermarkets or you get involved in running a club or helping out at a club or something. There are hundreds and hundreds of clubs that have got volunteers just because they love the, they love the sport. What is it about Congleton Town, though, that you enjoy so much? It's our town. It's our football club. Isn't it? If I'd been a cricketer, I'd have gone down the cricket club. If I'd been a rugby player, I'd have probably gone and got involved in the in the rugby club. You know what I mean? Because it is, this is our this is our town. My kids are, are growing up here. They're not into football. One is we want to provide something that our town, the people who were there in 1983, and said, "Oh, Bolton have gone through in the FA Cup first round on the telly," and all the oh yeah yeah. Yeah. We've got similar people now saying we've got to the semi-final, the FA Vars were one match away from Wembley. We've won the Cheshire Senior Cup. Didn't do that until 1930 something, the last time we ever did it. So we've got people who are like proud of the club's achievement. They didn't kick a ball, but they've gone and they've seen it. They've watched the, the, the players there represent their town, achieve these things on behalf of the town. And so that, that's really all it's about. We live here. This is our town. So that's why we do it. Like all volunteers and those who hold positions at Congleton Town, the club are incredibly grateful for everything they do. And I can certainly say that the club would be worse off without the work that Ken has done and continues to do. Ken does get a weekend off from match day forms this weekend with no game for the men's first team on Saturday. But they'll be back in action on Tuesday night when they host Runcorn Linnets at the Cleric Stadium in the Cheshire Senior Cup. If you are looking for a game on Saturday, then the reserves are playing in the JB Parker Cup. They play Eagle Sports in the first round and it's been moved to a home game and will be played at the Cleric Stadium with kickoff at 2pm. Congleton Town ladies are also at home. They play Chester Development in the league on Sunday. The ladies reserves team are away at Wivenshaw on the same day. Come on the Bears and thank you for listening to the Congleton Town Football Club podcast.